VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. This is a podcast from The Times, sports newspaper of the year. Hello and welcome to The Game, the podcast of record from The Times. Joining me to talk football, football and more football and maybe some ethics as well. It's Rory K. Smith, Matt Hughes and from beautiful downtown Richmond, it's Matthew Syed. Later, we're going to enter a moral maze, but before that, we'll look at a contrasting weekend for the title holders and challengers. So let's start at St. Mary's. Um, Matt, I want to start with you. Mancini said he had never seen anything like it. Um, now, he said this, I think, more than once about <laughs> d- different things relating to his players. Was it that bad, the, the individual defensive errors? Or should we, or we, do we focus too much on that? And if we do, we, we sort of ignore what was a really poor performance. Well, there are two things. There? there were individual errors which led to goals, but there was also a kind of under, underpinning tone of lethargy that ran throughout the whole performance. Mancini blamed the international break. Said the players came back Thursday and Friday, but it is the same for everybody. City, of course, being the only team in the world that had an international Quite, break. Yeah, they're the only... Player, only team in the league with international players and South American players, clearly, so it affects them more. Um, but in reality, they had an extra two and a half hours to prepare, so you know they shouldn't really be complaining. But it, it, they've, you know, that's three games they've had a win. I saw them at QPR where they were fairly poor. It seems if they don't start well and score an early goal, they sort of struggle really. And um, for the champions of England, that's that's not good enough. Roy, um, we will be giving credit to Southampton in a minute and your mate Pochettino, so um, relax on that for, for a minute. But um, does it make, is it, is, it, do we, is it different when people like Joe Hart were, you know, let's face it, we hear this Joe Hart, best goalkeeper in the world, sort of week in, week out, don't want to debate it, we can't debate it if you like, but then you make, he makes a huge mistake like that. And somebody suggested to me, uh, one of my Manchester United supporting friends, that had De Gea made that mistake, right now he would have been hung, drawn, and quartered. But Joe Hart is viewed differently because he kind of... Not, and it's not just the thing that he's homegrown in English, but he, he looks like a goalkeeper. He looks, you know, he's big, and he maybe doesn't make as many mistakes as De Gea and so on. But he made two huge ones in that game. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with De Gea is it's slightly unfair that whenever he makes a mistake, it's kind of people focus on that more than maybe they would with other goalkeepers. But that's partly because he has a history of making... Mistakes. It's you know that he. It's not like he's he's been flawless for a year and a half, and we've all just made up that he's made mistakes. He's made he's made errors. It's understandable. It's not saying he's a bad goalkeeper. Arguably, Hart hasn't exactly been flawless for well, the last year and a half. Yeah, I think Hart. No, I think last season Hart was good, but this season he's he's been fairly poor. Hart. He looks to me a little bit like he's kind of started to believe his own hype, and he's not looked nearly as as comfortable, as confident this season as as he did last. And I th- but I think the kind of the, the machinery of of the media takes a while to catch on a little bit maybe Matthew um, Jose Mourinho told me a story about, uh, about how uh, if William Gallus has a bad game he's got to go and kind of put his arm around him and cheer him up whereas if John Terry has a bad game he can shout at him and count on his pride and his ability to react to it um, 
Mancini obviously has this this attitude of, of trying to sort of to, to, to poke the player's sense of responsibility when it's a great player. He's got this very great sense that there are average players and there are superstars and superstars make the difference because he was one himself. Does that just kind of approach in terms of managing people, is that something that that resonates with you? Is that something that that, that, that might translate into any kind of, of team environment or, or or office environment, or is it just really not the way to go? It's interesting, isn't it? You're saying that the, the better the player, the more Mancini feels entitled to um, to go at them and yes. to try and inspire them through criticism. No, I'm not sure that that is true, because sometimes you have people who are fantastic at what they do, but are nevertheless emotionally rather vulnerable. They're very sensitive individuals. I mean, if you take, I don't know, Paul Scott, He's one of the greatest midfielders in history, but he has a very different psyche to say Cantona or Ronaldo, who are players of comparable stature. I think it's. Un- I think, in other words, I think that the way people respond to a manager or a boss or an employer uh, or a senior colleague isn't proportionate to how good they are at the job that they do. It's far more idiosyncratic than that. And I think you know, if if that's what Mancini is doing, then no, I don't think that will necessarily work. In the end, obviously, the buck stops with him. Um, Ducker's always told us that uh, if they could go and get like a really, really a guy they considered a top drawer manager, basically Pep Guardiola, guy who was a clear upgrade, they would do it regardless. Obviously, they're not going to get Pep Guardiola. Assuming he finishes second, what do you think they're going to do? Well, that's a fascinating question, and there is a clear upgrade who's probably going to be available from Madrid. But his relationship, Simeone, you think? Yeah, well, quite potentially an upgrade. But I think you knew who I was referring to. You um, really think he's an upgrade, Mourinho? I know the English media think so, but do you really think he'd be an upgrade? Well, given, given, given City, what City are trying to do, given the image of the club, given the fact that. They they have a certain way of doing things. Um, do you think he's a real? He's a, he'd be a real candidate, or he just kind of be like something that the English media would like to see? I'm not saying he's the man for City, and there are reasons that he may not be in terms of the way he's behaved, his volatility, his relationship with the City executives going back to their time at Barcelona. But I think it's hard to argue he's not an upgrade based on his track record. This is the man who took Mancini's team won the treble in Italy having really struggled in the Champions League under Machine for, for three years and really he's bad, he spent some money but um, yeah results for, result for result trophy for trophy he, he has shown to be a better manager whether he's a better person or not or whether he's the right man to build uh, a lasting um, some, something of substance at City which is what they want to do they, they are concerned about their image uh, I'm not sure he is but he's certainly a better manager it depends what you want to do doesn't it like you say if, if City want to have I agree with, with Husey as, as always as I'm con- contractually obliged to do but if you want to build something some sort of legacy not necessarily kind of a dynasty but kind of something longer term then why get Mourinho he lasts three years then he, then he leaves I'll tell you what though you could get Mancini at Chelsea couldn't you that, if you if leave City he'd be a shout for Chelsea I'm not sure he wants to do that I know. But it's, he's not being mentioned but yeah he'd be interesting he sort of fits the bill of a big name sexy I player I think quite it's going to be a while great hair he does have great hair I think it'll be a while before they uh, appoint another Italian manager there um Side, it's 12 points, the, the lead now. Uh, I read, because Ollie Kay said it, and, and so it must be true, that um, only twice in the Premier League era uh, has a team had this big a lead at this stage of the season. And in both cases, they comfortably won the title. Um, 
doesn't mean that the Premier League season is over, uh, at least in terms of the champions. And if so, is it really interesting at the top of the table anymore? Um, I think it's probably too premature to say it's definitively over, uh, given that we're not quite yet midway through February. But I agree that the probability of, of City coming back is extremely remote. Uh, the gap is large, as you say. Uh, Manchester United are looking strong and resilient. They uh, tend not to take their foot off the accelerator, even if they did marginally last season. Um, does it make it slightly less interesting? Well, if one is to compare the end of this season with the end of last season I suspect it will be less exhilarating then I'm not sure that anything I've ever seen in sport uh, in many years of covering it was as good as the uh, the culmination of, of last season and I suppose City at least have that uh, to think about you know that 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 last game in that last uh, second goal um, ought to sustain them through what will be I think a rather a rather difficult end to this season uh, Matt, when uh, Mauricio Pochettino took over from uh, from Atkins, the, the general reaction was that you know Nicola Cortese was, was was wicked and mean and horrible, and because the team had got some good results together, as we discussed on this program as well with Rory, is that his attitude was actually, well, look, you know, we took a longer term view. There was somebody better there who we thought, and in the same way that we get criticized for being knee jerk if we sack somebody who loses five games in a row, um, we're not being knee jerk about letting somebody go who's got some good results together. Is he being vindicated here? Because I thought Southampton played really, really well, as, as bad as City were. Um, this still is Southampton. I thought they played really, really well, and, and they had a, a really good. Uh, they had a couple of really good outings recently as well. Yeah, they've been good, been impressive since he got the job. Really, I was at the first game against Everton, which was nil nil, but they should have won. They were on. Slightly unlucky to lose at Old Trafford in the next next game, and then they've beaten City. So they're standing in the second half. Yeah, they play three. They've played three top teams and got four points. Could, could easily easily got more. Um, so is Cortez vindicated? Should he run for prime minister? He's not vindicated, but I think I think there are two issues here. And oh, we, we should we in the media, those in the media, who criticize them, be eating humble pie and bowing down, but you know, to the to the higher mind. Well, if you let me finish, I'd tell you. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think I think there are two separate issues here. That at the time, maybe not by you, and actually not by me or Rory, because I didn't think. I didn't overreact. I actually thought Pochettino, from when I did my homework, I know he was was a, was a good manager. But I think there are two things: uh, the sacking of Adkins, which was harsh. I know anyone would agree with that, given what he's achieved at the club and sort of the progressive curve on which he had had them. And then the appointment of Pochettino, and they got sort of merged together when they had their separate issues. And I think the first one was harsh, but it doesn't mean it's wrong. They're appointing this guy. He's clearly young, intelligent, smart. I agree with Hughesy. I think it would be very difficult to argue that Saturn Adkins was harsh. It'd be really, really, it would. It, they were. They were. Get, Southampton were getting better, and they. I think they just. They just drawn at Chelsea, hadn't they? When they, when he went. Yeah. And he seemed. It's not like they were, they'd done on a bad run of results. But then is there a? And this is I guess is that what Dad was alluding to. Is there a right time to sack a manager? Just, they obviously decided that Adkins couldn't take them to where they want to be. Couldn't guarantee safety. So yeah, you just look at the results and say, well, this recent upturn is irrelevant. We think he's a better manager than you are, so we want him to do your job. And that, in a sense. Deserves kind of a praise just for the sheer bloody-minded ruthlessness yeah, of it. I, I, I mean, in a way, in a sense, I think you're answering a question that can't really be be satisfactorily a- answered because 
Southampton may have stayed up on the Radkins mm. they may stay up now you're not going to know I mean the, I think I think for this decision to be very to be probably vindicated they have to finish very strongly and pull away and finish 14th then that that is a significant improvement from where they were as Rory says they were on a good curve they were out of the bottom three they were playing well uh, so to really justify getting rid of Adkins they have to do demonstra- demonstrably better I think which I mean I think Cortez has bigger plans for the club than just evading relegation maybe that came into it but Matthew I want to give you the, the, the final word here um, on, on the back of, of what, what Rory was saying um, should we be praising them I mean in general when you make decisions should you be able to take the emotion out of it and not think in terms of you know this guy deserves to stay this guy deserves to go and rather just make it in terms of what's best for my organization yes I, I, yes it would be good to take emotion out of it and for uh, owners to make decisions on more rational grounds but I think the point that um, Matt made I thought was a really good one that it did seem terribly unfair to Adkins because over a long period of time uh, the team under his guidance had performed above trend and it's far too early to say that the decision's vindicated because as ever in football it's very difficult to distinguish signal i.e. a very good manager from noise or or, or luck and these things sort of emerge after a while and I think we've talked on this program before about how most of the variation in results is simply explained about 80, 85% of it in statistical terms just by the differences in wages between clubs and it's very few managers who perform systematically above that correlation and, and very few who perform below it I think it's far too early to say that this is a genius appointment when one hasn't had an opportunity to establish whether they're performing above trend in that sense moving on to Old Trafford United and Everton um, Matt I, this was kind of the some people so I, there were a number of turning points I suppose last season but this was indicated by, by many as one because United were 4-2 up, up they were sailing um, they kept attacking Everton came back and it finished 4-4 and those two points obviously would have given United the title Um I thought they approached this game differently. I thought they were just really accomplished, really professional, and um, and, and looked to me really self-assured in a way that maybe this, they weren't a few uh, a few months ago when they were going behind and had to storm back uh, and uh, to win games. Yeah, it was interesting what Ferguson said afterwards that he was initially going to make lots of changes. Then he saw City lost and didn't and played a stronger team than he had originally intended to, which suggests he clearly viewed this game as, as pivotal and now on Monday morning it looks like a pivotal weekend City have dropped points United have won a difficult home game ahead of a huge game on Wednesday so clearly this is going to remember as a significant um, period in the season and United were impressive weren't they they actually first half they they, they won the game and and killed it off and never really looked like um, being, being, being pegged back I really enjoyed I listened to it on the on the on the radio on the way back from Spurs and I really enjoyed Really? Video. No, no. In fact, no. It wasn't. It would be. I listened to it on the radio. In, on the radio, in my car somewhere. I can't remember where I was. It wasn't. It was on Sunday. Time so traveling. Yeah, it was time traveling. Yeah. No, it was. It took you a long way. And to I come was home. listening. <laughs> North Circular can be pretty yeah, bad. Actually, traffic, traffic was absolutely <laughs> abysmal. But listening to as soon as it was two 0 the game was clearly over in in every possible way. Everton, did, uh, you know, barely threatened. And to listen to the commentators, sort of, it's the last seven minutes now. This was the period last season when everything changed. And you think, well, yeah, but. It's not last season. That's it. A completely different game. Completely different dynamic. It was 
kind of talked up as though it was, this was some real test of United's character. Everton never did anything at Old Trafford. Last year was an absolute exception. They know they go and they get beaten fa- without being insulting to Everton fairly comfortably, uh, and that this is just re- reversion to the mean, to be honest. Side is it reversion to the mean? Because I I thought I mean I, I looked at this and I'm I'm a huge David Moyes fan, but I thought they were they were poor as well, um, and almost as if last year had had never happened. Am I being too harsh, or was it actually Sir Alex who just? neutralize them? Uh, perhaps a bit of both. I thought that uh, Everton were less good than uh, expected going into the game, but I thought United were outstanding. I found the logic of, I have to say, just on what uh, was said a little bit earlier, Ferguson's logic was rather uh, curious that had um, uh, City uh, won and therefore the gap had been uh, closer, then he would have brought he would have brought in more. He would, have, he would have changed the team around more, fielded a less strong team. Um, but I thought tactically it was, it was fascinating Fascinating that the man marking job that uh, Phil Jones did on Fellaini extremely effectively, and yes, I think it was a combination of Everton slightly below what we might have expected, but the United under Ferguson putting in a tactical plan that was that was really vindicated. Matt, I want to get, get, get you on this. What I mean, side mentioned it there, Phil Jones and Fellaini. Um, I'm kind of mystified by Phil Jones because he spent a lot of money on him. You can certainly see his attributes, but it looks to me like he kind of needs to learn a, a, a position. I'm not sure he, as a center half, I'm not sure he's big enough uh, or concentrated enough. As a right back, he gets caught up the pitch when he plays in midfield. I know that he's quite skillful enough to actually you know, provide the passing there. But I'm wondering is, could this be what he's most suited for? Uh, almost like a, a, a specialist who comes in and, and, and takes out an opposing player. It's a figure that's kind of disappeared from the game around the world. But in, in certain games, I mean, is, is this what he can do? Or do you think he's going to settle into a position and, and, and make it his own? Well, that's an interesting question on two levels. Firstly, there's a question of whether... Yes, well done you. Uh, question of whether being versatile is actually hindering Jones' development in the long term, which is, you know, a massive England fan, obviously. England needs centre backs, so maybe he should be specialising in that role. Uh, secondly, it's unusual for Fergie to use man marking tactics. Really, he doesn't tend to do it, but he has used Jones in that way this season. He, he played him at Spurs away in that midfield position, um, sort of to give to give the centre backs extra support, and it, and it worked. And he kept helped keep helped with Raphael to keep Bale quite quiet. Um, so. It is effective, and it sort of seems to be a sort of clash between the short term and the long term, and it might be an issue, a case of not for the first time of what's good for United is not necessarily good for England. It, Eighteen million pounds—a lot, a lot of money to spend on the new Phil Neville. That's what Neville did late, later on in his United career. He was essentially used to fill in gaps where he was most needed and to do specialist jobs. I think, to be fair, if you pay eighteen million pounds for a twenty-year-old Phil Neville, you'd probably get good value. Of it. Yeah, no, fifteen-year career. Exactly. I'm, I'm a bit torn on Jones. I think that he's he's maybe he's mental. I think in terms of playing in defensive positions, that he, the, the focus isn't quite there. But then that is something that comes with age. He's so. young. He needs experience. Yeah. I, my view is he's not probably being helped by being messed around and playing in different positions. He's not a right back. He's, he's the no. same right back that Michael Richards was five years ago. Glenn Donaldson was. He just head down, go. He, you know, he doesn't look behind him. He can't do that at the highest level. I'd like to see him playing centre back because he's good on the ball, decent in the air, and that is the position that in- England need. Really, it just seems like the prototype. Sorry, when did you become an England fan? Yeah, I'm confused I'm, by this. Yeah, well, well I, I don't, I'm not. An, I was being sarcastic. Here, <laughs> right, clearly right. lost, but you know. <laughs> 
No, I, 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 it's interesting though because uh, you do see. That, I mean, the trend certainly seems to be towards the, the more rangy sort of six four center halves. But what's, what's Phil Jones like? Five ten, something like that. I think he's one. I think I think he's listed six one, but he looks even smaller when you see him next to you know Vidic or something. It's like you know little bro or something. I mean that's that was the one thing. There's one thing about him. He does jump. He does jump well. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I I just wonder if maybe we're seeing more three man defenses in in different parts of the world. I'm wondering if maybe that could be the next evolution for United or the old thing where he sits in front of the back four and then drops drops in in there. Mind you, if you play with Rooney as a second striker, he's going to give your midfield so much help that you don't really need another. You can get away with having a Jones in midfield. You don't really need another passer in, in many games. Yeah, that's probably true. I, I, from the, the other thing about Jones is I saw suggested today that he could, because he, he man Mark Fellaini so effectively, he could do the same job on Ronaldo. Yeah, it that's was a curious logic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get carried away with that one. Uh, Sai, we'll give you the final word again. Um, Real Madrid coming up on Wednesday. Um, is it a positive or a negative for United to the fact that they can get the, the, the league out of the way? And uh, let me just explain in a second. Um, sometimes when you're under pressure, you perform more. Sometimes when you have sort of that, that, that creative tension um, domestically and in Europe, uh, it, it can actually create a, a virtuous cycle. Um, now, obviously here... The pressure's gone now in the league, pretty much, or it's difficult to, to, to keep it up. Um, whereas for Real Madrid, this is pretty much everything, and for Real Madrid's manager. Gosh, that's uh, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. I mean, certainly we know the answer that Ferguson would. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Give to that. He said in his interview that the reason why he had fielded such a strong team was to put the league to bed, or not quite to bed, but to open up such a gap that it didn't register in the way that he made decisions in the Champions League towards the end of the season. Um, so I think he's absolutely delighted he's got that gap and he thinks it will help his players. Um, in terms of uh, Real Madrid, I think probably it does put them under more pressure. The fact that this is their last hope, that there are you know, serious concerns in the dressing room between Mourinho and the rest of his players. I suppose that one positive is that they have a player of uh, historic brilliance uh, in their lineup who is in an extraordinary vein of form. I mean, over the entire period of his uh, tenure at Real Madrid, Ronaldo scoring more than one goal every game, a marvellous hat-trick uh, on Saturday I think it was and I think I think it's just going to be a fascinating game I mean it's it's. I mean often in football there are games to look forward to but I must say you know yesterday morning when I woke up and had a chat with my brother-in-law that, that was the thing that we were most looking forward to this week I think it'll be terrific Well in addition to looking forward to that I'm sure you guys were all looking forward to to today's uh, moral maze-ish type debate which of course is coming up right now Alright so the long-standing narrative has been that um, people in England or in British football didn't engage in time-wasting and, uh, and, and gamesmanship uh, and, and diving and cheating and all this stuff. And 
I have to admit, while as a Euro snob, I always, when people bring it up and have a go at foreigners, I always go back and just mention, you know, Franny Lee, Franny Lee, Franny Lee. I think it was kind of pretty much only him, as far as I know, who uh, who went and did it to that degree. Um, and again, while I remember the great Liverpool sides sort of wasting time forever, Hanson to Grobelar to Lawrence and to, 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 to Grobelar, you really didn't get the sense that you got the sense that in terms of gamesmanship and gaining an edge, Britain was pretty naive. Now, over time, we get a sense that that has changed. And Rory, I want to start with you. Um, is that... A, well, A is my interpretation correct, and B, is it necessarily a bad thing that we kind of make this sort of moral distinction between time-wasting and and other forms of, of gamesmanship? I, well, I think it's, it's all gamesmanship. There's, there's ver- it, it manifests in various ways. So, yeah, Franny Lee's probably, and I wasn't alive, so I don't know, but Franny Lee, it seems to be, was the only person in English football who ever dived or ever got caught diving in the 1970s. But then you had players like Ron Harris and Norman Hunter who were celebrated for their ability to put in the reducing tackles that would, would intimidate opponents, which is taking the laws of the game to their very limit to gain an advantage, which is a form, surely, of gamesmanship. In terms of, there's other things, there's diving, there's time-wasting, there's... I mean, the the one thing that really annoys me, this sounds really stupid, when players put the ball out for a throw and then subsequently appeal for the throw-in to be there, surely that's a form of deception. Yet it seems to be that diving is the one that kind of captures our imagination the most, that seems to offend our sense of Britishness. But it's all the kind of... It's all on the same sliding scale of morality. It depends where you draw the line. And that, as you say, that changes over time. There was a time in, when it was considered unsportsmanlike, when my granddad was playing, to, for, the, for the right winger to come off his wing. If, if, the, the, the view was that... The, was he playing table football? Or? No, he was playing professional football for Coventry City. And he was a full-back. And if the right winger... He played left-back. And if the right winger drifted inside that, that was seen as not being his job the right winger's job was to get the ball and beat the full back and put a cross in it was an individual duel in that part of the pitch the way the game is perceived and the morality of the way the game is played has changed over time I, I find that fascinating I was unaware of that I, I'd heard the, the sort of the, the whole like sort of Corinthian myth of like you know how you wouldn't convert a penalty because the assumption was that you know, nobody would have fouled you on purpose but um, I was unaware of this hey, Syed I Obviously, morality evolves over time. Are we becoming more comfortable with this kind of gamesmanship in the same way that made people uncomfortable when a winger cut in and shot on goal uh, back in uh, Grandpa Smith's time? Well, I um, I don't think we're becoming more comfortable uh, with gamesmanship when it shades into cheating. I think that we're very uncomfortable about people diving and simulating and picking up on what was just said. You know, I, I, I must say, I always find it extraordinary how uh, players will kick the ball out and then appeal to the referee or the linesman and say it was one of the uh, opposing team's players who did that. I think the real problem here, and I think we have to be honest about it, is that... It's a cultural issue within the game in that if somebody wins a penalty unfairly and unethically, he's unlikely to get berated by teammates and manager when he or she in women's football goes back to the dressing room. And that's a fundamental issue because the rules are one thing, but the culture, I think, in many ways shapes and moulds behaviour even more profoundly. And I suspect that players would be far less willing to do things that are unethical and rather dubious if they knew they were going to be berated by the people who they care 
most about, i.e. their teammates and their manager. But there's a deeper issue here as well, in that the way that the teammates and manager respond are just the same as the home fans. When the ball goes out, everyone shouts, you know, at the same time, you know, that's our throw. When when the ball hits somebody's chest, everyone uh, from a team will shout, will shout handball. The when, when when Owen dived, when a penalty for England, criticism was conspicuous by absence. We were absolutely thrilled that he had got a penalty for us. In other words, partisanship for the great mass of people within the game of football is far more important uh, than moral probity. And I think that that, would, that that is the sort of fundamental cultural change that needs to happen. When, when a player goes out uh, for the second half, having dived to win a penalty, and his home fans start jeering him, that will be the uh, turning point, if you like, in terms of the way that players begin to behave on the pitch. I, I, I agree with all of that, but I think, and it's absolutely right, and the, the, tri- the, the blindness of tribalism is, is a massive factor. But the, the, the other, I think there is a, a kind of a core issue which is unethical is a subjective judgment what is what is unethical well, I mean, you get into the moral relativism and yeah. whatever else. But I yes, thought that's what that's what our debate was. Yeah. Exactly. No, no. Hughie, um, do, do, do you see? I mean, is is deceiving a referee equivalent to deceiving an opponent? Um, I think it's worse. Well, deceiving an opponent is what you do all that's the time your, if you're job. running with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no. You, the referee ideally isn't the enemy and you shouldn't be trying to call him or trick him you should be letting him to do his job he should be kind of an independent adjudicator really he shouldn't be sort of part of the contest um, I think everything that has been said so far is broadly correct um, and as Matthew was, was hinting this whole debate is sort of laced with hypocrisy and you know one man's dive is another man's um, great bit of art but I do and I, I think it has changed over the last 20 years the Premier League is obviously a global phenomenon now but uh, I don't think we should shy away from saying that it's actually a bad thing in some respects I do think the sort of old-fashioned English British Corinthian spirit thing is actually quite a good thing Um, and although the British media are often guilty of being rather pompous and hypocritical and blaming the foreigners I think to an extent um, we should try and promote those values not least for kids you don't want to go to the park and see kids diving and the footballers shouldn't be role models but the bottom line is if they if you if you watch them on tv they will they will do it and copy it and that is not a good thing we don't want to bring up a kind of you know generation of, of cheats and uh, game, you know people indulging gamemanship all the time just two quick points on that i mean i'm I'm Italian, as you, as you may know, and I don't sound it. Um, so I've come from a country of divers and cheats, and I've been to South America and seen many more divers and cheats. I've never seen kids playing in a park, ever, who actually dive and cheat when they're playing in a park with their mates and have jumpers for goalposts. Yeah, because there's no referee, is there? But if they're playing in a sort of competitive game at under That's 10 level... Yeah, well, I'm sure it does happen. And, and, and I want to I get back to you. Everybody has their own narrative, and obviously the, the, the tribalism comes into it. And you know, if you talk to people from... From you know, when we all think of like the great cheats, right here, you, you guys are still talking about Maradona and his handball. If you go to um, Cameroon, you know they'll tell you that one of the worst instances of cheating ever was Gary Lineker's two dives um, in the 1990 World Cup. And so you're screwing up your fist. Like, Man, I was wearing dives. You know, they caught him. But you know, go on YouTube and make up your own mind. You can see how in the narrative there, though, they would have seen those as as dives, and and you know, African country gets screwed by major global power like England. Um, 
do we have a responsibility in the media then to simply call out instances of this diving and cheating? Or since football is as popular as it, as it has ever been, and obviously, you know, the wisdom of the markets and the crowds, they really don't seem to mind because they keep watching. Should we just kind of let the majority decide? Yeah, but you don't let the market decide absolutely everything, so they're not in a sport that is so deeply ingrained in our society. Uh, I think I think you should we should highlight all aspects of gamesmanship, cheating, and and hypocrisy. And we Including should. Including Gary Lineker. Yeah, well, like, when I go home later, I will have a look at that. I, you know, as a eleven-year-old boy at the time, I don't recall thinking it was a dive, and I've seen it quite a few times since, and think he did get. Hacked to death because they were pretty tough. Those <laughs> tribal team was tri- the tri- did, did Kinesia dive in the first game as well. Tribal blindness. It's tribal blindness. Usually, yeah. as a massive England fan, I think when I was, was eleven was probably the last time I supported England. <laughs> I, uh, you know, youthful stupidity. So uh, in my, you- my defence. No. So I. Is it a, Gab's kind of view on this debate was that I defend cheating and which you tend to do, Matthew. Matthew would would South American bemoan it because I I'm a Euro snob like Gab, but I th- I, th- I think there's, there's lots of different little debates in it. One is the fact is the perception that it's a foreign thing and not an English thing. I don't think that's true. I think there's certain aspects of it that are more prevalent in the foreign game. But in England, you watch defenders claiming for offsides that aren't offsides, as Matthew Matthew said. You watch defenders claiming for throw-ins that aren't theirs or corners that that were goal kicks. It's all the same thing. It's just where where it's where you stand on the level. Which bits of it offend your personal morality? That's one aspect. The the other is is linked to how serious each of these offences are I'd rather see a sport where loads of people dive than one where people put in brutal tackles to, to try and hurt opponents you weren't a big fan of bite your legs even though it's from your part I of the th- world I think it's remarkable that well, it, it probably not remarkable it probably says a lot about Britain in the 1970s that that was considered virtuous or if not virtuous then at least in some way admirable even thing to remember about these things I think if all those games were televised and to the way they are now, they probably wouldn't have been celebrated. The, yeah, the kind of the, true, the yeah. myth, yeah. The, all these great, dirty, tough players, they kind of their feats were celebrated because no one ever saw them, did they? Yeah. They just heard about it. If you see it in the face and see the consequences and the injuries, and you're confronted with that, it's super slow mo like today. I don't think they would have been yeah, lionised yeah. in the same way. That's I think it's very difficult point. to compare eras like, like that because you can't, yeah. you cannot, hard to recall a time when football wasn't all pervasive as it is now. But you know, it's only. 20 years. Can I just say, I, I, if, if what you're saying in terms of this particular aspect of how moral controversy within football, specifically to do with things like diving, offsides, disagreements between rival opposing tribal um, networks of fans, is part and parcel of the soap operatic joy of football, then I think that I agree. The older I've got, the more fascinated I've been in this aspect. I mean, it's certainly, uh, as a journalist, Journalist. I, I find myself, and I'm sure it's true of, of you as well, writing more about moral issues surrounding football than tactical or technical ones, even though the tactical and technical ones are very interesting in themselves. Just one other thing, another very brief point I'd like to make is what's interesting, and it's not just true of football, but any moral issue, that when you really start deconstructing it, there is a very profound ambiguity. So if we take something like diving, 
it's pretty obvious that somebody has dived or simulated when they fall down in the area or elsewhere without having been touched at all. But the question becomes, what if there's a very slight contact and the player has overreacted to that contact in order to uh, kid the referee? Or in a slightly different example that's featured a few times this season, where the attacking player makes a slightly unnatural movement in order to generate contact, but wouldn't have done so if they'd only been intent on going in on goal. That becomes extremely difficult to police. Almost impossible for the referee in real time. And yet that also has to be part of the ethical debate because this is how very smart footballers are able to gain an edge. And the the distinction between unethical behaviour on the one hand and gamesmanship we might tolerate is extremely tenuous and difficult to to draw a line on. I'll see you that and and raise you this and perhaps read Rory's mind to conclude the debate here. There are also situations when uh, there is no contact at all and, and perhaps... Perhaps a defender goes flying into a tackle towards somebody's leg and the striker has to take evasive action, jumps over him, goes to the ground and uh, and is done for diving or no foul is called when, in fact, you know, from the striker's perspective, you could say, well, what's, what am I supposed to do? Run into the tackle and hurt myself. Um, so there obviously are a whole variety of layers and uh, hopefully we've peeled away a few today. All right, time now for some quick hits. Rafa Benitez believes Chelsea have turned the corner following the 4-1 win over Wigan. Husey, I was at that game, and to be honest, I didn't really see it. I thought Chelsea were really, really bad until the end. Um, Am I wrong? Um, No, not really. I think they may have turned a corner, but Rafa's caught in a maze, and there's probably about 15 of us approaching somewhere somewhere shortly. Yeah, they were were very lacklustre between like the 25th and the 85th minute really and frankly Wigan could have had a point they should have had a penalty which would have may have made it to all and if that had gone in then there would have been insurrection on the full on Broadway I, I, I was kind of disturbed when uh, Lampard made it I think 3-1 uh, to, to Chelsea and then Torres shanks the ball and the Chelsea fans start singing you know 10 men we've only got 10 men disturbing. Rory, as you write, everyone is waxing lyrical about the guy. Two easy questions. Are comparisons with Cristiano Ronaldo really that off base? And can you name a player from these British Isles better than Bale right now? Uh, Question number two, no, I can't. Bale is the best British player currently in existence. Um, The comparison with Ronaldo is weird. There is a similarity in the way they they sort of look and run and play, their build, their musculature. It's easy to see why people make those comparisons, but he's not on that level yet. That's not to say he couldn't be, but yeah, I think Ronaldo Ronaldo is, as Matthew said, is a a player of historic brilliance, and I think that, that Bale is not quite there yet. I also bet you that Ronaldo gets a lot more play than Gareth Bale does. Paul Gascoigne has had a relapse. Uh, Syed, should we just accept that mental illness is reality and that sometimes you just can't do any more? Or is it fair to take the football world to task for not doing enough, as the media so often seems to do when Gaza gets sick? Well, I mean, when it comes to somebody, um, there's a, there a marvellous piece by uh, George Colkin in, in, in The Times online this week. Absolutely uh, mind-bogglingly wonderful piece of writing. And it's, it is absolutely tragic to see the state that Paul Gascoigne's in. Could football do more? I think all of us could do more when it comes to issues of this kind. But having had, um, very sadly, a couple of very close friends who have had addiction problems, I think it's probably fair to say that 
um, it's impossible to coerce somebody into a life that is going to be, in your judgment, to their betterment. And, and, and it has to, to a certain extent, come from them. So it's a horribly difficult issue, but one that I'm sure all of us hope will resolve itself. Arsenal win again, this time away to Sunderland. Husey, we were also busy writing them off, but they managed to win at the Stadium of Light with little Bakari Sanya as an emergency, emergency centre half. They kind of put together a pretty good run. Discuss, is Wenger vindicated again and will he finish fourth? Oh, I never wrote Wenger off, but whether he's vindicated or not by others, I'm not sure. It's interesting that Arsenal's decline is such that reaching fourth would now be a triumph for them and the club, which is not where they were 10 years ago and not where the majority of fans would want to do it. I, th- I, th- I think it's down to them, them and Tottenham, really. It's basically whoever's got the most character, and I would probably just back Arsenal. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> Uh, draw to Everton, a win over West Ham, and presto, Villa are out of the bottom three. Rory, please tell me that Paul Lambert's youthful revolution is going to be successful and that they're going to stay up He's Paul Lam- three at the back. He's Paul Lambert then now, isn't he? Does when he wins, yes. Wins, yeah. uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if I can say that to you, Gab. I don't know if I can... If I can perpetuate that myth it's, it was a crucial win it's a great point at Everton although they obviously chucked away a lead but it's still a point they probably wouldn't have expected to have um, very important to beat West Ham the first win in nine whether they stay up I think depends on too many factors for me to predict but they're, they're, they're still in very deep trouble come on Lambert do it otherwise you'll be Lambert again the Premier League gave itself some financial fair play type rules last week, though with rather looser restrictions. Um, Syed, is it really a good idea to mess with the free market? What's wrong with just letting football clubs who spend too much go bust? Yes, I, I sort of acknowledge the, the thrust of what you're saying. I do have uh, concerns about messing with the free market. And the other concern, I think, is that you know, rules of this kind, although these are much looser, aren't they, than the UEFA uh, FFP uh, rules, are likely, uh, amongst other things, to enable the very top teams, which have the highest revenues, to entrench their position. Um, so one can understand the intent, but real concerns about the way it will work out in practice. That's said, one great positive about this is the fact that owners, if they want to put money in, they cannot do it with debt beyond a certain level. And so we'll stop some of these buffoons in the provinces pretending like they're saving the club when in reality they're just loaning money to the clubs that they own and uh, we'll get people actually putting real money in. Gab, I have a question for you. Um, it's, it's about the new African champions, Nigeria. But would it have been a better story if, if Bettina Faso had won that final? Yeah, I think in a patronising sort of way, it would have been a better story, Rory, because obviously Burkina Faso, one of the poorest nations of the world, nobody expected them to do anything. Um, they... Basically, they nearly got jobbed in the semi-final. Um, they have this wonderful Jonathan Petroipa. That said, Nigeria, a great story as well. Um, 1994 is the last time they won the, the, the Cup of Nations. They've, you know, basically Africa's powerhouse in terms of big names this time around. Uh, they kind of chucked all the big names out. Uh, Mikel, probably the biggest name of all, showed a lot of maturity through, through the tournament. They went with a homegrown uh, manager in Stephen Keshi. Um, they were just a united, high-energy team. And um, I think they're very, very fitting um, African champions. Not the most talented team, but I think over the course of competition, the best team. That's all we got time for this week. It's been fun and it's been real. Thanks to my guests, Matthew Syed, Matt Hughes. Good luck to Huddersfield, by the way, in their upcoming encounters, Hughesy. It's on the telly tomorrow, Leicester City. There you go. Well, we know where Hughesy will be Monday night. 
There you go. And of course, Rory K. Smith. Uh, come find us on Twitter to share your thoughts, or you can email us, so many of you do each week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk. You can go to our website, thetimes.co.uk. You'll find news, views, web chats, blogs, and analysis. And if you missed it last week, go back and find George Colkin's blog on Gaza. It really is that good. Till next week, bye bye. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.